Hey, good morning, Midtown, and welcome to the Midtown Worship Service. But before we jump into our time of worship, I just have a few announcements I'd like to give you. One, we're starting back live September the 6th. We'll be doing services at 8.30, 11, and 5 o'clock at our 12 South and also our Grand and White location. And registration is going great, so if you want to come to that service, make sure you get online quick and sign up so you can have a spot to come to that worship. Also, thank you for those of you that are hosting home churches. This is really exciting. Where some of you are choosing now to take our home church package and bring it home and invite your friends, your neighbors, or maybe some of the people that you pot up with and just have them come over and watch the service with you, sing together, listening to the teaching together, fellowship together, even some of you are gathering for lunch afterwards. So fantastic. If you want to sign up for that, just go online. There's more information. I also want to encourage those of you that don't feel comfortable with either one of those models to continue to join us on Sunday as we preach God's Word, worship together, and enjoy the benefits of the benediction. So I also want to encourage you, hey, small groups, starting back on September the 13th, our small groups are going to be coming back together by Zoom. Some are going to be coming back live. Uh, They're all trying to figure that out as we're all trying to figure out what the next step is. So sign up, jump in, and figure it out with them. So I hope this time of worship is a good time of renewal for you, refreshment for you, and even healing for you. God bless. Hey Midtown, as we come to worship God today, I want to remind you of who our God is not and who he is out of scripture. You know, often when we, when we think about God, we kind of have this picture of him as some kind of elderly grandfather sitting in heaven. And that is not the picture that scripture presents to us at all of the God that we worship. Our God is a mighty God, a powerful God, a warrior God is what, uh, is what Moses says in Exodus. And so to call us to worship, we're going to read a song that the people of Israel sang right after they were delivered. This is out of Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Midtown, we come to worship a God who is fighting for us this morning. Let's worship him. Welcome, Midtown. Uh, As we sing, we are coming to the Lord in prayer and in worship out of stress, out of fear because of how uncertain things are, um, out of shame over our sin. Bring whatever you bear. Bring it to Jesus' feet and be before him and sing. Shameful failure and loss 
thoughts, you know what we hold in our hearts, um, you know what we hold physically. Uh, you are offering us relief and comfort and you hear us when we cry out to you. Let this be a space of being near to you and feeling that we are near to you and that we are held by you no matter what we bear or where we come from. We love you. Amen. Morning, Midtown. Uh, excited to be opening the Word this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at some profoundly practical and really timely instruction from Paul uh, on the topics of anxiety and joy and peace to the Philippian church. And uh, he really unfolds in this instruction, um, he calls it later on in, in Philippians, the secret to living in uh, the peace of God and having your life marked by that peace uh, rather than having a life that's marked by anxiety and the role that prayer plays in that transaction. And so 
what we're going to be looking at this morning, it's not, it's not a magic pill. It's not like what you see where, uh, you know, in weight loss things where they say if you just take this pill and you do nothing, uh, the pounds will, you know, fly off. Uh, this really takes disciplined, uh, a disciplined life of prayer and regular prayer and praying with the truth of the gospel kind of framing and shaping our prayers. But when we do that, what we'll see here is Paul saying we really have a powerful combination uh, a powerful balm uh, for anxiety and for difficulty. Uh, so much so that, that later on in the letter, Paul says, I, I've learned the secret of being content, um, having an inner peace or like an, in, an inner equilibrium, a sturdiness and even joy in all things. So this is Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the word of the Lord. Well, it's hard to uh, think of a time at least for me it was, hard to think of a time in life that has been more marked by widespread opportunities for anxiety. Uh, something as simple as logging onto a computer, which is uh, something that probably is, is a daily action for most people. Um, now, uh, at least for me and my family with, with three kids uh, starting virtual school, has become the navigation of all things virtual school with endless uh, you know, Zoomathons and countless correspondences and assignments and emails. Um, it's, it's a massively anxious thing just getting our kids ready for school in the morning. But there's also things like economic anxiety, right? Uh, how about political unrest? There's plenty of that going around. There's racial unrest. There's educational uh, anxiety and family unrest and relational unrest. We could go on and on. There's widespread opportunities for anxiety, but there's also widespread talk, um, widespread chatter, opinions, noise about what will bring us true peace in the midst of all of this anxiety, what will deliver on real and lasting joy. It's a profoundly anxious season because there has been so much change. And those changes have invited changes that need to be made on so many fronts. And the compound effects of trying to navigate all of these adjustments and decisions and changes and do that with wisdom and all the ramifications that those decisions make, it's really left a lot of us, I don't know if I would assume you've experienced this, either in a place of really feeling paralyzed or really feeling polarized. I'm either in a state of kind of paralysis where I'm overwhelmed and I'm kind of froze. And, and in order to find peace, I've just kind of got to check out and avoid what's going on and kind of numb myself or distract myself and not think about it all. And that's what's going to give me peace. So I can be in this state of paralysis or I can become incredibly polarized, which scripture, Ecclesiastes 7 talks about this. Polarization is like this state of being overwise or overwrite, where I have really extreme thoughts and extreme actions, and I'm going to just take the reins and take control, and I'm going to engage what's going on with 
with total fury. I'm either paralyzed or I'm polarized. And both are ways of responding and trying to deal with the anxiety that we can be feeling. And Paul is saying here that there's an alternative. There's an alternative to paralysis and there's an alternative to being polarized and that polarizing action and thought. And there's a way to actually real, true, sturdy, lasting peace. And he's saying that we as Christians through prayer, we have the resources to employ to keep anxiety, this paralyzing or this polarizing anxiety from ruling the roost and reigning in our hearts. So let's look at this passage, see what, uh, what he unfolds for us. Um, before we, we actually look at, at kind of Paul's remedy or his secret, uh, his combatant against anxiety, uh, I would love to start with just his understanding of the scope of the issue. Verse 4 and 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Seems like a crazy thing to say, right? I will again say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, give thank, with thanksgiving, give, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Why does he say that? Well, he says it because he understands that in the right moment and under the right circumstances, I can become incredibly anxious about anything, right? And the word here, the word for anxiety, it's, it's not the word that describes kind of the understandable worry that comes when you properly love something. Like uh, my kids got my skateboard down out of the attic the other day and they've never ridden a skateboard before. And as they hopped on the skateboard in my driveway, I, I kind of cringed with anxiety because I was like, oh my gosh, we're about to go to the ER with a broken arm. Or my oldest boy who's been riding some, his bike some in this season with his friends and they'll, they'll go out for a couple of hour rides uh, and there's a sense as a, as a parent, like, man, I, I want them to have that freedom, but I'm also I'm concerned. That's not the anxieties Paul talking, is talking about here. The word here is not kind of that understandable worry that comes with a proper love. It's, better, it's really better translated to be divided or to be cut into pieces or to be torn apart over a situation. It's more akin to what Ecclesiastes and Proverbs talk about when it talks about a crushed spirit. When my spirit is crushed or it's dominated and marked by anxiety and fear and hopelessness. And Paul is saying, you know, don't be anxious about anything because anything can be, become something to be anxious about. No person or no area of life is immune to this. To experience anxiety is to be a human being because we are finite, we are frail, we are limited. And anytime we we bump up against that finite, frail, limited self when that's exposed. And this season has certainly done it. We're put in a place of having to deal with that feeling or that reality. What is going to be my peace? What is going to deliver and give me peace? So if anything, I mean, this is the scope of it. This is where he starts. If anything can create anxiety, therefore everything must be brought to the Lord in prayer. I don't know if you've ever said this. I know I've said it. I've heard people say it, things like this. I was going to ask you to pray about that, but it kind of seems too small to ask for prayer for. It's not really that big of a deal. You ever said that? I know I've said that. Well, Paul is saying here, just in the, in the very beginning, he's saying that anything can become a very big deal 
if anxiety and fear are at play. And so nothing is too small to pray for. Because small things can and do become big things when they go unchecked, when they go unattended, when they go unprayed, right? Anything can storm the gate of my heart and my mind and set the city of my heart and my mind on fire with anxiety. Just the way Paul frames this instruction to pray implies something really important that I think we oftentimes live kind of you know, immune to or, or naive to, and that's that there's a battle going on for your peace, a functional battle for your peace, because there would be no need for a guard for your peace, because he calls the peace of Christ a guard here. There'd be no need for a guard if there was no war going on, right? I grew up in a very, very small town in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. There were maybe 2,000 people in my town. There was no stoplight in my town. There was zero crime in my town. And guess what? Nobody in my hometown ever locked their doors, not even at night. Why? Because there was no real threat. Well, Paul understands something about the Philippian church and about our spiritual life, and it's this. Uh, We're not living in Pleasantville. We are under attack daily. And what you have guarding your heart matters. Proverbs 4 talks about this. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from that place. So if anything is an opportunity to become anxious and and to sink into this sort of kind of crippling anxiety, what sort of defense do we have? What sort of guard do we have that Paul's talking about here? And what he does in this passage is that he points us to an actually a sufficient guard. The key to everything, I think, in this passage, Paul says at the end of verse 7, is that anxiety and peace, the dance between those two, are often a matter of what, or rather, who guards your heart and your mind, right? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, verse 7, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What's interesting about this is how Paul frames this is he personifies peace by calling it a guard. We need a guard for our heart. We need a guard for our mind. And the word there is it's not like a, you know, a rent-a-cop that's you know, posted outside of a blockbuster or something. Blockbusters don't even exist anymore. Why did I say that? I don't know. The, the word there is for an army. It's like a garrison of soldiers that are positioned at a vulnerable point of attack for a city. We need a, that kind of guard, a garrison of soldiers for our heart. And he's saying that the peace of God can actually be that guard for our hearts in Christ Jesus. So peace, the way Paul's talking about it, we, we would say the word peace and we think of, of kind of this feeling of nirvana or something. Peace isn't a feeling per se. It's not not a feeling, but it's more than that. It's a knowledge. It's a, it's a confidence. It's a sturdy uh, belief and feeling that comes from the presence of a person, from an adequate guard, right? I, uh, I'm only five foot seven. Uh, Emily and I measured again the other day because I, I guess I've been telling everybody I was five foot nine my whole life. <laughs> Liar. Uh, anyways, but you know, I was a little guy and I had lots of big friends because little guys understood something. But I can't defend myself in all situations. I need big friends because I'm vertically challenged, right? Well, that, that's really what Paul's getting at here. He's saying you, you need a big guard here. 
And Christ himself, he is that. What he is, what he has done, what he has accomplished, his promises, all that Scripture teaches from cover to cover about who Jesus is and who he is for us, we have that guy and the peace of that guy and the presence of that guy as our guard. Scripture goes this this far. It says, he himself is our peace. He's the one that stands guard at the door of my heart and my mind. And like a bouncer at a nightclub, he's the one who decides who gets into the club and who doesn't. And bouncers, right? Even if something sneaks by and starts to cause problems, what do you do? You don't go, go fight it yourself. You go get the bouncer, and the bouncer is the one that ushers the problem to the door. That's why when we have anything less guarding our hearts than the peace of Christ, than, than being in Christ, we are vulnerable to crippling fear and crippling anxiety. Because what I've got guarding my heart isn't big enough to keep out whatever is causing me trouble, right? Whatever's causing me fear and whatever's causing my my anxiety. And those things are ruling rather than the peace of God. So it's a great opportunity for us to just stop. And and let me ask you this question. Who guards your heart's peace and joy? One of the ways that you can figure that out, one of the ways that I figured it out, is observing my anxieties often helps me see that. Spending some time sitting in what makes me anxious, what makes me afraid. Many people try and guard against anxiety and fear with accomplishment and success, right? Which is effectively saying, I'm going to guard my heart. Some people use money to guard their heart. Some people use control. Some people use power and influence. Some people have other people's opinions of them as the guard for their heart. Some people, what guards their heart is knowing that you did it right or you got it right. I can list all of those things because I've employed all of those things many times in my life. And I can say with confidence that anything less than Jesus Christ and all that comes with Him and His identity, giving and secure love, His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy, it's too small of a guard. It may work for a minute, but eventually it will come up short because all of those things, my accomplishment, my success, you know, my beauty, my money, you know, my influence, other, you know, keeping other people's opinions of me in a certain place, all of that is losable. All of that is changeable. All of that is fickle and circumstantial. And all of it ultimately depends on me or some other person or some created thing, and it's all too small. Paul actually gives a really interesting example here when he says this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the guards that a lot of us employ is this, the guard of understanding. It's really subtle because understanding is good, it's just not a good guard. For some people, it looks like this, if I can just understand the situation, if I can just get my head around what's going on, if I can just understand what a possible solution is or the cause of the problem is so I know who to blame or what to fix. If I can just understand, then I'll have peace. Well, understanding is a fine guard until the situation gets too complex, right? Until it gets too nuanced, until it gets too layered. And then my peace can't come from my understanding. 
because I can't understand it all. Because I'm too small and the situation is too big because I can't think on the level of God because I'm not God, right? Paul is saying here that there's a peace available to me that transcends understanding. It's a bigger guard than my intellect. It's a bigger guard than my understanding. It's a bigger guard than my gifts or my capacities, which eventually can and will and do come up short. It's a bigger guard than the right economic climate. It's a bigger guard than the right political platform. It's a bigger guard than the right educational systems. We need a bigger guard, and we have it in Christ. And so if that's the case, how do I experience it? Because Paul's talking about experiencing something here, right? How do I experience it? And, and in particular, if that's the case, if I have it in Christ, why do I feel so often like Jesus is asleep at the door of the nightclub? And like fear and anxiety and all of their friends seem to be getting into the club and starting bar brawls all over my life. Well, I'd love to suggest something, and I think Paul really guides us here, that it's not that Christ is asleep at the door. It's possible that maybe it's us that's asleep to Him and to all He is. That I've been so busy trying to get my peace from things too small and asking those things to guard my heart that I actually have spent very little time knowing about the peace of God and all that I have in Christ Jesus. It's like, uh, if you've ever seen this, I had a friend who put up an ADT sign in front of his house and I asked him, I said, um, oh, so you have ADT security? And he goes, no, I just put the sign out there. Um, that'll that'll keep, you know, keep people away. Uh, and from breaking in, you know, it's enough of a deterrent. A deterrent. And I, I said to him, I said, well, yeah, but, but if someone breaks in, you, you really don't have any defense, right? You really have no relationship with ADT. It's, it's just a sign in your front yard. Sadly, I think a lot, of, a lot of believers, that's their experience of Jesus. That's their experience of, of the Lord is, is they kind of have this sign in their yard that says, I'm a Christian. But I, I've never spent any time really building or developing a relationship with this person who has given his life for me named Jesus Christ. And so I, when, when pressure comes, when difficulties come, when, when anything that can become anxiety comes, I, I don't really know how to actually access the defense that I have in him because I don't really know what it means to know uh, who he is, not just know things about him, right? So how do we experience it? How do we experience you know, this peace of God, which functions as a guard for our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the last thing I'll say is this. Paul, Paul says it to us here. He says it's a specific type of prayer. That the way that we begin to experience this is through, through prayer that involves, and there's two T words, thinking thankfulness. Thinking thankfulness actually ushers the peace of God, or I, I experience the reality that he says here, the Lord is near the nearness of God and the peace of God begin to come in my life through thinking thoughtful prayer, okay? Thinking thoughtful, thankful prayer. Paul says this, we've got real resources to employ in the battle, and prayer is the transport that brings the peace of God to the fight. But, but it's, he says something really counterintuitive and very countercultural in the very beginning here, and he says this. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, so in anything, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, so anything that's going on in my life, nothing's too small, by prayer and petition with thankfulness, present your request to God. I want you to, in all situations, whatever's causing you anxiety, bring those requests to the Lord. But, but there's a crucial shift here, and it's this. I want you to come thankful before the response or the outcome. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible for me to be thankful before the response or before the outcome, before I see how the Lord enters in to what I'm praying about? What if He doesn't take away the thing that is creating my anxiety, right? If I'm honest, prayer often for me can look like I'm going to bring my requests or my petitions, my suggestions of what I think would remedy the, you know, remedy the situation and therefore alleviate the anxiety. And when he's dealt with what's troubling me, then I'll be thankful, right? But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that there's a thankfulness available to me that I can express before any sort of answer or any sort of solution or remedy appears. This is so so different than how we think. I mean, we even teach our kids, right? I give them something and they say, thank you. And they say, thank you to what they've received. But Paul's saying, no, there's a thanks available before I've received anything. How is that possible? Well, thankfulness before an outcome is only possible if we truly trust and we truly know the heart of who we pray to. And the reality uh, that we desperately depend and we need Him to be the guard for our hearts, that we can't, we can't do that on our own and, and we're not capable of doing that. So often uh, when I look at even my prayers and, and my petitions and my requests to the Lord, they, they can actually take the form of things where I, I'm seeking uh, solutions that actually could potentially undermine my dependence and my need of Jesus my need for Him to lead me to that place of peace and out of my, my, out of my anxiety. It looks like this sometimes for me. Lord, answer this prayer so I don't need to trust in You. I can trust in what You've given me. Or Lord, make me comfortable so I don't need You to be my comfort. Or Lord, give me enough financial security so I don't actually have to be secure in You. Or Lord, give me enough success so that I don't have to get my identity through you and what you've done. Lord, give me enough material possessions now so that eternity with you isn't what I long for, but it's treated kind of like a consolation prize to this life. My prayer life can be so busted, and it can be so full of ingratitude and not thankfulness. But, but if I'm not thankful, I'm not thinking. You know, later on in verse 8, Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What he's, what he's talking about there, he's not just talking about thinking about general things. He's talking about taking everything, all of the doctrine, all of the theology, everything that Scripture says about the person and work of Christ, and bringing that, think about that, focus on that, bring it all to bear in this present moment. And when we do that, we, something happens, and it's powerful, which is, is I'm, not, I'm not happy necessarily or thankful in and of itself for the hardship, 
what, I, what begins to swell up in me is, is that I'm actually thankful for him. I, I'm deeply grateful and thankful that he has me. And, and because he has me, I have him and I have everything that comes with him. And so what, what prayer begins to look like is, is this. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you because you're sovereign. You know what I need. Thank you because you deeply care about me. You know what I care about and what I'm worried about. Thank you uh, that you see even what I don't see. And I can thank you and I'm confident that you will give me what I need in this time. And, and even if I don't understand, thank you that you always give me yourself to comfort and defend me even when things remain difficult. You see, thank you isn't a response to his action. It's a response to him, to his person, to his presence, and to his promises. So we're, we're able to be thankful when we think, right? Thoughtful thankfulness and prayer in him begins to draw us near. We begin to experience his nearness. And it awakens our hearts to the reality that we have much to be thankful for even when we can find much to complain or worry or become anxious about, right? Because we have life and nothing can separate us from his love. Let's just think for a second. We have forgiveness and he has taken all the punishment for our sin and nothing can separate us from his love, Romans says. We have a secure future and a hope that cannot be cut off. It's guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. We have the God of the universe as our daily companion, our comfort, and our guide in this life. He has given us one another, His body, for support and for encouragement. We have so much to be thankful for. And prayer ushers us into that place. Thoughtful, thinking, thankful prayer ushers us into the presence of the Lord. And when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I will become thankful eventually. So Paul's saying when we start with thanks, really thinking about Christ and becoming thankful, it even reshapes what we request. Because what happens is, is we begin to rejoice in the Lord. Like he says, he rejoys our heart in him, not in our circumstances. He restores us to the joy of our relationship with him and our salvation in him and the hope that we have and the confidence we have in him. So Midtown, uh, where are you anxious? I won't even ask if you're anxious. Where are you anxious? Who or what is guarding your heart right now? Would you believe um, that, that Jesus Christ and all He is and is for us can and is our greatest guard? He is our peace. He is our great defender. And would you in the season... Dare to allow him to draw near through learning what thankful, thoughtful prayer looks like and letting him become that bouncer at the nightclub, bouncing anxiety from the party and replacing it with the peace of God. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, that we don't have to guard our own hearts, um, that that's not a work that we can do, uh, Lord, even though... Um, I, I let that work be done by so many things other than you so many days. Forgive me. Uh, Lord, teach us uh, what it looks like um, 
to seek you uh, in, in thankful, thoughtful prayer that's really s- steeped in, in what you've done and what you've accomplished and who you are and all that is, Lord, that it would stir our hearts to a place of gratitude and real dependence um, so that we can experience this, this peace of God that transcends all understanding. Guard our hearts and minds uh, as, as we know you can and do in Christ Jesus. Uh, this we pray. Amen. Friends, as we sing, be reassured by the Spirit that as much as you are holding on to your hope, that God is with you, and even more so than that, He is with you and He is holding on to you. Sing, my feet are strong, my eyes are clear. My feet are strong. Yeah.
friends, we're going to take a moment um, just to pray by yourselves or with whomever you're worshiping with in person, if anyone. Just sit and reflect and um, let the Spirit speak to you and thank God for the ways that he has shown up in fears and anxieties that you've had in the past, times when you weren't sure if you were held by him or if he would come through to do what was good for you and in your world. And then he did take time to reflect on that. And then we're going to come back and we're going to praise him for reminding us that he is good. sing of his goodness together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I to me. 
Midtown, as we go from here out into the world to live the lives that God's called us to live, uh, knowing that we will have trouble, knowing that there will be times that we fail, knowing that there will be times where we don't feel thankful, we don't feel connected to the truth of who God is and what He's done for us and what's now true about us, uh, receive this good word from the Lord as you remember who it is who guards your heart and walks with you. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.